And you know what? I bet if I go and do something kind in the name of the Lord, that something kind will happen to me. And so we start to try to make God work for us. Here, again, their idea was that God should be forced to fight for them. Kind of like our idea is that sometimes God should be forced to do stuff for us if we do good things, if we try to repay God. And hopefully all of us know that that's an impossibility. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, we read that the Israelites took the Ark of the Covenant into battle, hoping that it would help them win the war. Instead of revering the Lord's presence and seeking His real counsel and help, Israel sinned by using a holy item meant only for worship as a good luck charm or a rabbit's foot. God was not pleased and would not be manipulated into moving on the Israelites' behalf. In today's message, Pastor Mark teaches us that we do the same thing when we try to earn a response from the Lord with an act of kindness or a good deed. Jesus cannot be manipulated into doing what we want Him to do. God wants our true devotion and allegiance. Well, let's join Pastor Mark with today's edition of Come Alive from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 4. Okay, in verses 1 and 2, it says, The word of Samuel came to all Israel. So Samuel's doing his job. He's preaching the word of God. But it says, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. And so during this time, there was really not a great world power, so to speak, such as Egypt or Assyria, seeking to dominate the region. So Israel's battles were waged against her near neighbors, such as the Moabites, the Ammonites, and here, the Philistines. And Israel couldn't, uh, could compete more on equal terms with Moab and Ammon. But with the Philistines, they had a little more trouble. There's a, the Philistines had influence from Greek, from Greece. They had uh, Greek military equipment such as helmets and shields, coats of mail that they would wear, swords and spears. They had a, a little more metal than the Israelites had. And so it made the Philistines formidable opponents, a a little tougher group to fight with than what they were used to. And so the Philistines were the first people in in Canaan to process iron, and uh, they made the most of it. So just a little history there. The Philistines were an immigrant people from the military um, aristocracy of the island of Crete. And you find that in Amos chapter 9, if you're taking notes, from verse 7. And so these small numbers of the Philistines were in the land at the time that Abraham had come in. And so they had only came into force soon after Israel had come into Canaan and uh, from Egypt. So they were organized into five city-states. So there, there was these five city-states. And there, it was a little bit of a difficult time for Israel. But never did uh, time seem more helpless or hopeless than when Samuel arose. And so you got to think about this. You know, this young boy is, is, is growing up into a man. He's probably 15 or 16 years old now. I don't know 
for sure. It doesn't tell us, but it says the word came. And so he comes into power as a prophet, and it's a difficult time. The Philistines strengthened not merely by this constant influx of immigrants that were, con- you know, they were constantly growing. And so by the, the, the importation of these arms from Greece would come in, they would arm themselves, and they were fast reducing Israel to the condition of a subject race, basically, when you think about it. They were trying to, trying to capture Israel and make them their slaves. So we shouldn't infer from the connection um, here, and, and we see this as we read it, is like, you know, woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these guys? Verse 9, it says, be strong, conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. So we know this is where the Philistines got their slaves from. And so here the connection of the word of Samuel came to all Israel, and now Israel went out to battle, that that battle was led by the direction of Samuel's word. We shouldn't think that because Samuel gives the word and these guys go to battle that it was Samuel saying, go to arms, go to war, because that's not it at all. What happened is he's giving the word of God, and these guys decide that they want to go fight the Philistines, and and that would probably be more like Hophni and Phinehas and and some of the military leaders. Some manuscript traditions evident in the Septuagint make it clear that the Philistines initiated this conflict. And so the battle ended in disaster. Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men. That's a lot of people when you think about it. I mean, you got 4,000 men that had just been killed. So most likely if if half of those guys had families, you'd have 2,000 fatherless homes. Look at verse 3. It says, And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Here, the elders of Israel respond with this superstitious trust in the Ark. And I don't know if any of you have ever been superstitious, but, uh, you know, it's um, basically rabbit foot theology is what's taking place here. It's trusting in something to take care of you, trusting in something that's man-made. And though it does say, and I can see why they would probably run and grab the ark, because it's, it's said that that's where God sat. That is where God sat. And so they say, let us bring the ark of the covenant that it may save us from the hand of our enemies. The elders of Israel, after the battle with these Philistines, decided that the next battle could be won if they took the ark of the covenant out of its holy place with their soldiers and run it into a battle. The Ark of the Covenant was the representation of the throne of God among the people of Israel. So they have this represent, representation. So keep in mind the most holy place of, this, of the tabernacle is the Holy of Holies. It was never seen by people in that, other than that priest once a year, and they tie a rope to that guy when he went in. And I always find that as the funniest picture is a guy with a robe on and a rope tied around him, and just these other guys are hanging on just in case something happens, and they drag his dead body out. But that's when, when you think about that, that's the, the reverent fear that they had for God, that, hey, this is his place, and if this guy blows it, we can't even go in there and rescue him. we got to drag him out with a rope. 
And so in that most holy place, only the high priest would enter and see the ark. And he would only be able to do that once a year. Once a year, the ark was viewed. The rest of the time, it was cut off from, from people's eyes. And yet, they wanted to take this representation of the throne of God out of the Holy of Holies. And it, it could be moved when the tabernacle was going to be moved. They had to cover it. And so they had to, they, what they decided to do is they're going to take it into battle. And so they cover it, take it into battle with them. They're thinking that it's going to give them this confidence. And it does. It gives them a little confidence. It gives them this confidence that God is with them. That God is with them. The ark had gone into battle before, but the ark went in front of the marchers around the city of Jericho, if you remember that, in Joshua chapter 6. And then Moses told the priests to lead the ark into battle against the Midianites. And so you can kind of see where they're getting this idea. And then later on, in, in future events in, in, in biblical history from where we're at, Saul will bring that ark into battle in, in, in chapter 14. And then David will also in Second Samuel chapter 11. So why? What went wrong with them doing this today? What's the big deal? Well, later during that rebellion, there's another time that Absalom, um, David knew that that ark was not a lucky charm. And so he sent it back to Jerusalem when he fled the city from Absalom in 2 Samuel chapter 15. But the elders of Israel, if we look here, were right in seeing that they needed help from God to win the battle. They were right. They assumed correctly, we need help to win the battle, and we need help from God. But the problem lies in, they went about it the wrong way. You know, you hear their their posture, their position, they had this idea that their posture was wrong. The, the thought was right, but their posture in this was wrong. They didn't, they didn't really consider what would happen by grabbing the ark. They did need God, but instead, what they did, instead of humbly repenting and seeking God, what they had done is they turned to methods that God never approved. They turned to these methods that God never approved. They only cared if it would work. That's all they cared about. The success on the other end. They didn't care if it was God's will. They didn't repent. They only cared if these methods would work. They believed the presence of the ark would make God work for them. Now, how many of us are guilty of doing that? We start to have these great quiet times and we really think that, oh man, if I, if I beef up my quiet times, if I have three or four a week, then the Lord will look favorably upon me because I'm, I'm really needing something from him. And life's tough. And you know what? I bet if I go and do something kind in the name of the Lord, that something kind will happen to me. And so we start to try to make God work for us. Here, again, their idea was that God should be forced to fight for them. Kind of like our idea is that sometimes God should be forced to do stuff for us if we do good things, if we try to repay God. And hopefully all of us know that that's an impossibility. If he wasn't willing to do it for their sake, simply they're tempting God. They're tempting God. Well, you know what? Let's take the Ark of the Covenant. God will never want to be embarrassed in front of the Philistines and losing to them. But this is the very thing that Satan encourages Jesus to do in the wilderness. And and, and when he's tempting Jesus, he says, you know, trying to force God into a miracle by suggesting that Jesus leap off the pinnacle of the temple. 
Well, you know God's going to save you. He's not going to let anything bad happen to you. And Jesus says, you know, you're not to tempt the Lord. No doubt it seemed like a, a brilliant suggestion. It's a great idea. It would work for certain is what they thought. But it didn't work. They must have been pleased to arrive at such a great solution. I could just see all the elders gathered around thinking, well, you know, these guys, they beat us pretty bad this last battle. What can we do to win? What, what's our shoe in? What's our, our, our great move that we're going to do? Oh, hey, you know what? We got the ark. It's over there in the Holy of Holies. We can send the, you know, Shlomo, the priest in, tie a rope to him. He can grab it, and we'll pull him out with the ark, and we'll cover it, and we'll take it into battle, and then we'll win. Oh, dude, that's going to work. That a rock. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Okay, in Jesus' name, amen. And they go for it, but their belief's really only in vain superstition. You know, they've, they, they, they're pleased to arrive at this great solution, but it's only superstition. They regard the ark as an ultimate good luck charm. A rabbit foot. A rabbit foot. I remember when I was in junior high once, this kid wanted to fight me. And somebody had given me a rabbit foot. And I thought, okay, I'll grab this thing and I'll go. And he won't fight me or I'll win. And so I put that rabbit foot around my neck and walked out to this fight thinking, I'm going to win. And I remember when I got there, I mean, that kid just beat me up really bad. And I remember walking home, looking at that rabbit foot, and I just threw it down. I was like, this didn't work. And so my friend had told me, he goes, well, you just didn't believe in it enough. I was like, man, I believed in it a whole lot. (laughs) A a fat lip and a bloody nose and a skin-up elbow. And he was like, man, he goes, I can't believe that. And I was like, well, to pick it up and tomorrow you fight the dude. And he was like, no way. <laughs> He's like, my dad doesn't want me to fight. And I'm like, oh, but it's okay for me to do this. And so I did pick it up. And I remember walking home thinking, well, I'm going to get in trouble because my mom's going to probably spank me for losing another fight. And I remember when I walked in, sure enough, she started to get the belt. And I remember I was holding this rabbit foot in front of her and she thought I was crazy. And she ran down the hall and I'm like, wow, it did work. <laughs> So my thought was, it only works when you're going to fight girls. So. But it doesn't work. Superstition doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. And so, you know, they regard the ark, this thing of God, the place where God's supposed to be, the representation of God as this good luck charm. Notice the words that it may save us from the hand, that it may save us from the hand of our enemies. They're looking to the ark to save them, not the Lord. You know, we we hear people all the time say, man, you're right, Mark. You're right. I need to go to church. I'm like, man, I never told you to go to church. If anything, I, I tell people, you don't need to go to church. If their life is so messed up, it's not the church that's going to fix them. It's Jesus. They need to experience Jesus. They need to experience the Lord himself, not the church. This place isn't a holy place. This stage isn't a holy stage. One day we'll be torn down and we'll throw it in the dumpster out there. It's, It's a building. What makes it holy is God. And what makes you holy is God in you. And so you are the church. 
Well, we've said it before that we need to be the church. How are we individually being the church, meeting the needs of other people? Or are we like some churches and we stay inside of four walls, never to venture outside, never to offer a helping hand to those who need help? Or do we just say, well, go to the church. The church will help you. I understand what when we say that, but it's really the Lord. I think as Christians, we really need to just stop with those people when they say they need help or they're sick or they're hurting and say, hey, can we pray for you? Can I pray with you? The first thing we should do is, is lift them up to the Lord and seek God in that. Remember, we talked about the difference between Hophni and Phineas and Samuel. Samuel did something that was different. Hophni and Phineas worked for the Lord. Samuel worked to the Lord. And remember we talked about the Bible says if you do to the least of these, you do it to who? To the Lord, to me. He quotes and says if you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. So when you help others, being the church, a portion of the church, a limb of the church, you do it to the Lord. You don't do it to the church. And it goes even further back is that a lot of people say, oh yeah, this is my ministry, this is where I serve. And that's cool that you take ownership in that, but if you don't serve the Lord, then you you shouldn't serve a ministry and you should never ever serve the people because it's not until you serve the Lord, until you're tuned in with Him and tied in with Him, that you can serve people in the right way. There's a lot of great intentions out there. This is a good intention. Let's take the ark and go into battle. Let's save our people. But they're looking to the ark to save them and not the Lord. So instead of attempting to get right with God, these Israelites set about devising a superstitious means, a superstitious way of securing the victory over their foes. And so in this respect, most of us have imitated them. We think of a thousand inventions, a thousand different things, but we neglect the one thing needful. We forget the main matter, which is the to enthrone God in the life, and to seek to do his will by faith in Christ Jesus. That's what Charles Spurgeon said. Is that sometimes as Christians we forget that main thing, and that's to enthrone God and put him in his place, and seek him first and foremost, and to do his will by faith in Jesus Christ. It's important. It's not our will be done. It's it's God's will, his will. And what is his will? Well, you... Find out in the Bible. You read it. So there are plenty of Christians like these elders who, when they find themselves beaten up and torn up by the world and the devil, uh, they scratch their head and they start to run around and think, man, let me, let me try to figure out ways to fix this. Let me find reasons for, for God smiting me or, or punishing me. They start to try to figure all this out except for the one true thing. They, they forget to look in the mirror and look at themselves and say, wow, I, I've departed from God. I've stepped away from him. I, I've left him. Have we become like the church, you know, and, and always ask us in, in, in the book of Revelation, uh, those churches, which one do you identify with when Jesus writes those letters? Are you the one that's left you first love? That's what happens here when we, we do that. We, we've we departed from him sometimes when things happen to us. 
Not that he's to be this big protection blanket around us, but sometimes when those things of life rise up against us, he says, hey, you've departed from me. There's sin in your life. Repent. You get right with God instead of trusting in something else. So these guys, instead of trusting in the ark as Christians, instead of us trusting in a sort of ark, they should be more concerned that the ark is being served and carried by priests who have forsaken the Lord. You know, sometimes I wonder what we do in the name of Jesus Christ, and we have forsaken. I was talking to somebody the other day. I was at a retreat, and I was listening to the story of somebody, and they said, after a church party, this, this lady said, she's a lady now, but when she was a little girl, she said, after a church party, one of the elders of the church molested her. She had spent the night at her best friend's house. It was her best friend's dad. He had molested her. And then the next morning got up to go serve communion. And that was a hard story to hear. That was a rough story to hear. And I remember one of the things, the last things I did, I I told her, I said, hey, you know, I just want to let you know as a pastor, as a Christian man, I apologize. I want to represent all the guys out there that have ever wronged you in your life. And that wasn't the first time. So they, her dad served in the church, and so she tells her parents, and they can't believe it, and they go to the pastor, and they send this guy off to another church, a smaller church. And so the question was that I had in my mind, well, if he wasn't guilty, why did you send him away? And if he was guilty, why did you allow him to stay into the position? So, you know, that church, now that church has got that on their hands. The head pastor of that church didn't want to deal with it because he was being moved to a bigger church. He was getting a promotion, so to speak. And I remember as that spoke to me, I was like, Lord God, I never, ever want to put money or position or any of that stuff above somebody that has had something bad happen to them. To care more for those things than for people. And so here these priests have forsaken the Lord by doing some of the same things, molesting women at the temple, having sex, and stealing meat, taking more than their portions, and just blatantly ignoring what God had told them to do. The two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were with the Ark of the Covenant of God. They were with the Ark of the Covenant of God. So God had commanded the ark to be carried and cared for by the priests, these filthy lucres, so to speak. They did the right thing in having priests to carry the ark, but they were doing a wrong thing. The people we meet in the book of 1 Samuel are quite the characters. We meet a woman who gave her only child to God and a boy who heard and answered the call of the Lord. We also find a frightened king and a brave shepherd boy, both of whom would lead the people of Israel. Through each of these people and circumstances, we discover God's hand at work in powerful ways. We are so glad you tuned in today to Come Alive. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play or iTunes to keep up to date with the latest from Come Alive and the church behind it. Calvary Chapel Katy is led by Pastor Mark Martinez and a staff of Jesus-loving, friendly people who do all we can to spread the good news of the gospel to all who walk through our doors. 
you're in the Katy area, Tracy has an invitation for you. We'd absolutely love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel Katy for our Sunday morning service. We're now meeting at Wood Creek Elementary School, located at 1155 Wood Creek Bend Lane. It's exciting to be in a new space, and we hope you're able to come worship the Savior and study the Bible with us, filling our new home with praise and prayer. Give us a call for more information and directions, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Our phone number is 281-391-5503. That's 281-391-5503. Thanks for listening today to Come Alive.